Hey friends, Yeti Blanc here. I just put out my first single, Pirate Radio Anthem, written and recorded by me, produced by SUI Award winner Andrew Streeter. You can get your copy today at YetiBlanc.com. That's YetiBlanc.com. Sing for freedom until they You are listening to Yes, Maybe, No with Andrew Streeter. Really? <laughs> Crap. it. And Yeti Blanc. I had friends in high school who would go around saying, What's in the box? What's in the box? Is this show the best? Yes, Maybe, No! Welcome back to another episode of Yes, Maybe, No. I'm Yeti Blanc. And I am Andrew Streeter. And today we're talking about sophomore <laughs> efforts. Uh, Andrew and I were, were talking about some things a little while ago, and we realized that there's a decent little discussion to be had surrounding second attempts at things or second releases or, you know, sophomore effort on an album, a movie, a TV show. That's where we're going to go today. And we hope you enjoy this episode and have a good night, everybody, because I'm blanking again. Andrew, please take us away. Save me. Sure. <laughs> Help me. Fair enough. I mean, there's a lot of different ways. When we think about, well, this topic, I guess, a lot of times what comes to mind to me is the term sophomore sophomore slump, you know, and you see, you hear that probably more, I think in a sports application, right? Where like a rookie would come out one year and be like really, really good a rookie in a pros or a freshman in a college sport. And then their sophomore year or second year don't perform quite as well for a little bit or maybe the entire season. And so, you know, there could be a lot of pressure, especially when you have a really good product the first time around. Uh, That's why some people end up being one hit wonders or flashes in the pan, you know, whatever cliche you want to throw in there. That means the same thing. Flashes in the apple, Dano. Hey, hey, exactly. I I mean, I meant researching this dude. I've, I can't believe how many examples (laughs) I found just in music, but like we're, we're all going to talk. We're going to explore obviously, you know, movies and uh, TV shows as well. What about books? Did you listen to any books? I started listening out some trying to find like, you know, successes and flops and things that are kind of in the middle. And the successes list actually got a lot longer than I intended. So I had to stop myself. All right. So, um, you know, you were talking about you first kind of made the analogy to the athlete and, and the sophomore slump. It, do you think a lot of that comes from maybe they had a breakout? Like maybe they weren't even that awesome their first year, their rookie season or freshman year or whatever you want to call it, but they exceeded expectations. So people just think naturally they're going to get better they're going to have a leap this second um so is it that they that they actually have a slump or is it they slump to our expectations Uh, that's a good question i think that it could be a combination of those things right so i think it could be a little probably more likely that there is a combination of you kind of due to circumstances maybe you were surrounded by other really good players that helped lift you up um maybe you had a really good coach that like at that time that really helped you or whatever or you maybe you played crap competition in the games where you shined (laughs) um you know there could be a lot of there could be some of that where you overperform your what you actually were expected to be 
Um, and then the next year there's all this pressure to maintain it. And when you face a situation where you don't have the same teammates or, you know, a different, or you have a different coach or you're playing tougher competition, et cetera, mentally you could start like, you know, breaking down sports psychology is always really fascinating to me in that regard. Guys, when you think about like some of the greatest, you know, like Tiger Woods, and like Michael Jordan and all those guys come to mind that have like the killer instinct mentality, Kobe Bryant, you know, those guys that are just like, whatever, I'm, I'm going to destroy you no matter what. And then you have countless right. other examples of guys that just wither in the big moments as well. But um, when I think about this in particular, I think that, yeah, it's probably a mixture of overperforming the first go around or, you know, you had some sort of fluke success. Like if you're a musician, I think a lot of times what happens with one hit wonders, they, uh, they put out a single that they didn't think was actually going to be that good. <laughs> you know, if they like record, they record like an album and then like their A and R guys, like this is the one. And you're like, whatever. Or like a DJ right. starts playing it right. and then it gets really popular in rotation. And it's like, really that one, that's the one that everybody likes. Like the good example of that would be, you know, the band Della Mitri. I don't Have you heard of that band. <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. Do you know the song from the nineties? The look around your world, pretty baby. Is it everything you hoped it be? Yeah. Right time to roll to me. It's a delicious pop nugget and it sounds nothing like any of their other songs at all. It was almost a throw, a throwaway, like kind of a warm up track or whatever in the studio. And then like the, uh, it was going to be for like their major, um, label debut. And the A&R guy was like, that's the only, song that's worth a darn on this whole daggum thing and they're like really (laughs) (laughs) crap and so they put out the single that's the only song anyone ever heard and you hear stories like that a lot right and then obviously because they're they don't have any other songs that are like that and they didn't want to write other songs like it they couldn't really match the success of the first single right and that that's a problem with the industry though is that you know you have success with one thing and people automatically want to uh, copy that formula whether it's yourself or other people on the label they want you to have that same sound and you know and it might not be that or maybe you want to progress the sound like i mean that's one of the things that also makes the beatles run that much more impressive is that like every album they progressed the sound they changed and uh um, they didn't. They didn't want to get yeah. stuck into just doing the formulaic thing. And I know we've had conversations in the past. If we want to bring Weezer into the conversation, they just got really formulaic. And I think a lot of it has to do with Pinkerton. They took it a little bit of a different direction, a different chance. And it initially and commercially, it it. I mean, d- it flopped, right? I mean, that's always been my impression of it, is that commercially it flopped. Yeah, I mean it. It blew up in their. It blew up in their face, and it, it was their last album of the ones that went gold to go gold. It was something like 15, 20 years after the record came out that it that it became a gold selling record, right? No, so didn't you tell me once that that just completely that that, that that completely crushed Rivers, right? And like to where he got really afraid of taking risks. That's correct because that first record was so good front to back, and it's still like a legendary record, the Blue Album. And then the second one, they really wanted to you know experiment and like wear their heart on their sleeve you know and uh it got absolutely annihilated for it particularly in rolling stone like the rolling the original rolling stone review of pinkerton is just absolutely scathing and really rough the fans that got it really got it and they loved it and obviously eventually it became a gold record years later and it became a cult classic and it's pretty much the reason why like you know emo existed in the early 2000s like really the pretty much right. the only reason that you know bands like taking back sunday exists is because of pinkerton and with the green album which is a re- it's a good record that i really like it was completely played safe they're trying to get back to basics with like the really you know 
catchy, poppy, you know, hooks. And uh, they they did that. It followed the exact same formula that the Blue Album did. To me, if the Blue Album is A New Hope, the Green Album is The Force Awakens. That is how I see it. Yeah, it's it's amazing that that like that one album could affect him so much. But I mean, like I get it though. It's 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 difficult to put yourself out there you know, with stuff that you believe in, and then not get the feedback or response that you would hope. That's exactly correct. Yep, and it wasn't fun for him for a, a long time. <laughs> Just recently, I, I had the it came to mind that you could compare Pinkerton to the uh, the video game equivalent to Pinkerton would be Mario Two. Um, because I don't think that I I think that game is an artistic leap, but it wasn't. I don't. I never felt that it got the commercial love that it or the widespread love that like yes. the first Mario did and Mario Three. Mario Three got the big bump from the Wizard, and and the first Mario just you know set the stage for everything that's made Nintendo greater. But Mario Two has this really really cool setup. And like the way you can float through the game, that you know, the being able to pick things up and throw them, the the vegetable motif with the turnips and everything, like it's fun. I really, it it, it you can play with Princess Peach, you know, right. All the different characters, like being able to have different powers. Yeah, you got to think about the monster success of the first Super Mario Brothers game in 1985. Um, I mean, just monster success. That was the first like real console seller yeah. game, right? Where it was just you know everybody had it, and you go from that you know just basic premise of like it's like the perfect platformer to let's get weird and throw turnips at shy guys. <laughs> like, it it kind of throws people off yeah and and have dinosaurs throw eggs at you you know and you have to, have to jump on top of the egg and catch it right yeah and birdo's a transsexual dinosaur because it's a boy that, wearing a bow on his <laughs> right so like you go from you know italian plumber brothers shooting fireballs and eating mushrooms you know which is weird enough of a concept to like you know they're throwing <laughs> turnips at transsexual right. dinosaurs you know i mean there is a leap there. There's several <laughs> exit ramps away from each other, right? Right. And so it, <laughs> I can see why people didn't come around to Mario Brothers 2 until much later, much like Pinkerton. Yeah, I do feel there is a greater love for it now, or it's just that the fans of it now are, you know, have a little bit more of a platform than they used to. Now, what about some of the most monster, great sophomore successes or things that have really, really worked? I'll tell you, the very first one, musically, the first one that came to my mind was, like, like I wonder how many people out there, like, like you see kids in their 20s that are wearing Nirvana shirts. Sure. I wonder if them ha- realize that Nevermind is their second album. Nevermind was the first I ever heard, and this is the first that most people ever heard, but it was their second album. And, and it's interesting that after Kurt passed, that due to the Unplugged album, that then some songs off of Bleach started getting popular, like um, About a Girl. But yeah, Nevermind. Incredible monster mega album. And it was their second one, not their debut. Uh, what, what's what's another one that you've got? Led Zeppelin two, which is arguably, I think it's a lot of people's favorite Zeppelin record. I guess it depends on who you talk to, right? Um, go back to the Nirvana family, the the color and the shape. You know, Dave got all the success he needed out of that first Foo Fighters album, but the second one just put them over the moon. When you've got, you know, you kick it off with Monkey Wrench, you throw in Everlong and My Hero. I mean, it, there's three of the best singles of the last thirty years. Yeah. Easily. Easily. And and a, a group that's, you know, uh, near and dear to your heart, I think about, you know, what's the story, Morning Glory, right? By Oasis. Yeah. Their first album, definitely, maybe, did great. It's It skyrocketed them to, to major success. I, but then what's the story? Noel has referred to, the, has jokingly referred to that as keeping the economy of England afloat for a few years. Um, 
And I don't think he's wrong. I don't think he's wrong. <laughs> um, I don't think he's, I don't think he's incorrect on that. Honestly. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, like, yeah, people heard of them with, you know, supersonic and live forever. It was like, Oh, live forever. This is really, really good. But like, it didn't like leave the earth's orbit until Wonderwall hit. And it's just like, everything was over. It's all, it's all over from here. My introduction to them was obviously was Wonderwall and champagne supernova. Right. Which both were like unes- inescapable for a few years. But then you throw in the, you know, a top 10 anthem of all time and don't look back in anger. Very near and dear to my heart. It, that, yeah, that album is just, you know, I didn't even put that down on my list because I stopped myself too early. That's so funny. Man, I uh, just looking, looking over my list, so many of these are 90s. Beck Odelay. Uh, but Odelay wasn't his second album. It wasn't? No, no. Um, Because he had One Foot in the Grave, which was a lot more folky. Odelay was the second album after people actually hearing about him, after he had his breakout uh, with Mellow Gold. Um, I think um, Odelay is incredible, but that was not his sophomore effort yet. it. Okay, but it was his sophomore major label record. Sorry, I pooped. I pooped all over this. What, what, are, what are some more on your list? Siamese Dream, Smashing Pumpkins. In- incredible. Yeah. It's an unimpeachable record, front to back. Wait, Siamese Dream is their second album? Uh Uh-huh. Gish is their first. I didn't know Gish came first. Mm -hmm. I always thought Melancholy is their second album. No, dang. I didn't realize that Gish came first. I've listened to Gish. No, Melancholy is their third. You hear the, uh, I mean, just the progression through all of those, like you do with so many of them. But but yeah, I didn't realize Siamese Dream was their second. But that's an, like, every song on that is just a full-blown rock banger. Um, But that's another example similar to Nevermind. Like I said, I didn't even realize that Gish was their first. Um, it's like a lot of people never realized that Bleach was Nirvana's first album. What about Whatever and Ever Amen? Ben Folds 5. Yeah, that was on my list. Yeah, yeah, Ben, yeah, because yeah, nobody heard of Ben Folds 5 before Brick outside of like, you know, the Triangle area. Like people around the Southeast heard of Ben Folds 5, but not me, even though I was in the Southeast. Um, but, you know, like I said, all I really did was listen to the radio. Even though we were in the state where they were like happening. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so like once Brick hit, you know, everything took off for them for a little while once Brick hit. Um, but yeah, that is their sophomore effort. What's, what's next? Or, or what else do you have? Wu Tang Forever. Okay. I have no comment on that. (laughs) (laughs) No joke. I mean, that's, you know, we could pass on that if you want. (laughs) You can comment on it. I cannot. I I don't. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to have just like the white guy sounder all the way through. You know what I mean? Which is kind of what I was feeling like when I was making the list. But okay. I love the killer's second album, Sam's Town. It was my favorite killer's record. It's just like where they really like honed in. You know, I've never done a dive on the killers at all. I think you'd like them, man. It's like, it's hard to explain that, but it's definitely guitar rock with like synth flourishes and there's some like new wave, but like not too new wavy, you know, that particular record, I think you would really enjoy. I'll have to give it a try. I, I was definitely against them in the beginning just because, you know, be, you were actually, did you know you were the one who labeled me a music snob? And I was like, okay, I'll be a music snob. I never heard the phrase before. I never thought about it, but you, you, you said something about, he's just trying to be a music snob. And I was like, I am, I didn't deny it. I, I was like, I've never thought of that phrase, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely a music snob. It's not, you know, something I'm super ashamed of. But no, but I mean, I got really petty and childish with it. I'm like, oh, another the band. You exactly. Know? <laughs> like during the early 2000s, you had the hives and you had the uh, the vines you know the white stripes the strokes the killers the darkness yeah it was like the late 70s rock revival fake indie is what i call it fendi fendi as it were okay the second did you ever listen to gorillas with a z their second record demon days i think is a really really solid second effort um toxicity system of a down that's when people really started like 
knowing who they were. And I can get more snobby if you want. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Well, I can just like rapid fire this and you can play some like 1950s like shop music. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, a little grocery store music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can just like, you know, rattle that off. I'm just going to give you. (laughs) What is that song called? It was in my head the other day. I don't even know. (laughs) And I couldn't like search it, you know? Google can do it now. Google can figure it out by your humming. And I I bet I don't have my phone right here with me. Oh, I freaking love that. That's that's total like weather channel core. <laughs> <laughs> All right, rapid fire. Okay, I'm gonna just go rapid fire. We ready? Here we go. I think the Benz by Radiohead is no, a you did not. Effort. You did not. But that's a uh, great one. Sound of Silver by LCD Sound System. Fun, fun, fun album. Really good. Contra by Vampire Weekend. Also very fun and good. Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge by My Chemical Romance, which like launched their you know mainstream careers pretty much. Um, and then Gossamer by Passion Pit. All of these are really great sophomore efforts. Moving on from music. I don't know anything that you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. A lot of that stuff would have come out right when I was pretty much in my own. I'm only listening to Wilco phase. <laughs> and so I know I missed a lot. You know, I guarantee that Mike Ryan, Mike Ryan knows all of those. Oh, you know, he does. You know, he does. A 2004, <laughs> 2005 era. Like I missed, I missed a lot, um, but I stopped listening to the radio. I stopped paying attention. Like I pretty much just like, I got hooked on like two or three bands for two or three years at a time. And uh, so I missed a lot of that. One that I was going to bring up that it, it didn't have the commercial success, but from an artistic standpoint, Blind Melon Soup. Um, the, the leap that they made artistically. You've talked to me about that one before. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It's, they just took a whole leap. Um, they brought in banjos for the first time uh, on, on this one. Um, they've got, they do a really great mix of good dynamics on this album. It's and it's just a shame that Shannon died. Like I think it was just within a few months of that album being released because they were really about to explode into a new artistic forefront. I don't think they were ever going to make anything that was going to get the shine that no rain gave them. Um, but artistically it would have been incredible to see where, where they went. You have successfully spoken about Blind Melon for four and a half minutes with no interjections. Damn right I did. I'll cut it down to 30 seconds. And you know something? I only know no rain and I'm not ashamed. I'm I'm a little bit ashamed. (laughs) I'm sorry. I know you love them. No, it's okay. Like, like I said, it, you're in the same boat as most of the people. I have three more albums that couldn't possibly have anything less to Go do for with it. each other. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, Ride the Lightning by Metallica, the Marshall Mathers LP by Eminem, and uh, Helplessness Blues by Fleet Foxes. You failed me. I really wanted you to drop in like Carol King's <laughs> second album. I don't oh, know what it would God. be. Carol King. Oh, what the heck? <laughs> Carol King's second album, the theme from Gilmore Girls. I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know who I like? Anne Murray and her sophomore album. <laughs> <laughs> you know who I'm into? Give me, give me some Carly Simon, you know, some, some Gordon, <laughs> some Gordon Lightfoot, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. It's a toe tapper, man. It's a real toe tapper. 
So you want to jump into film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the first one that came to my mind just because, and I've never seen it. I've never seen any of the Godfather series, but I know that Godfather 2 is widely regarded as the best of that series. Mm. Oh, so you're going with sequels. In so, yeah, that's where my that's where my mind was going on those. with no, sequel, Like in a franchise. Was the sophomore effort of the franchise. Because I was in the same mind frame as like as albums. Kind of what I was thinking just in terms of like if the director is the artist. Right. Their second movie that they directed. Not your libre yeah dude put that on the list also let's see spielberg's second film was jaws tarantino's was pulp fiction um the coen brothers raising arizona nick cage a classic have you ever seen seven i've actually never seen seven it's incredibly disturbing but a great movie okay well well, okay let me let me yeah i've never seen it um but i always knew the phrase you know what's in the box um like we had friends in high school who would go around saying what's in the box what's in the box what's you know and I'd never seen it. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in so the Lemonheads on their album Carbot and Cloth, they have a song called Six. And, and it's just, here comes Gwyneth's head in a box. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know that he was referencing Seven for years. So you're like, what the heck is this song? I was just singing. I was like, yeah, it's Evan Dando. He's weird, and I was just. So I just sing along. Here comes Gwyneth's head. I had no idea it was referencing Seven. Wow. It was probably like 2008 or nine, and then I saw that Gwyneth Paltrow was in Seven. I'm like, oh, okay. This all made sense now. <laughs> So seven, um, yeah, never seen it, but I, I you know, I, I knew the what's in the box reference. David Fincher is a celebrated director, um, and then you've got uh, John Hughes, who did all of like the great teen brat pack '80s movies. Uh, the Breakfast Club was his second movie. Um, he set, he, I mean, like he kind of set the culture for a while, you know. Oh, he absolutely did. And, uh, absolutely did. Uh, Christopher Nolan of the Dark Knight trilogy. His second film was a really cool low budget art film called Memento with Guy Pierce. And uh, I haven't seen that yet. Adnan always talks about Memento and how good it is, but I've I've not seen it yet, dude. The reason I saw it is because I took a film class in high school. <laughs> And they were like, you have to watch this. And they also made me watch it in my psychology class, interestingly enough. And then when you watch that movie, you'll understand why. It holds up. It really holds up. I watched it um, a couple months ago again, and uh, it's really good. But that was his. That was a sophomore effort for uh, for Christopher Nolan, another celebrated uh, director. But those those are the ones that I had listed. But you you'd listed yeah. more sequels than anything else. Yeah, some sequels that worked. So, like, you know, The Godfather Two gets all the praise for that series, as as it should. I mean, it's it's incredible on its own. Like, I don't think you have to watch either the first or the third one. Really, the third one you can just throw into the ocean. But like, you don't have to. <laughs> you don't need the first one to to un, to really enjoy the second one at all. Um, another one that I thought did really well for the franchise was Karate Kid 2. Karate Kid 1 was a major success. It put it, it put it on the map, of course. But I think they did a good job with Karate Kid 2. They didn't recreate the same movie. They tried to do that with Karate Kid 3, which is just garbage. But, um, but Karate Kid 2, they did, you got to learn about Mr. Miyagi's past. They went to Okinawa and there was a life or death situation, you know, um, that was, and it was a really interesting leap. I've always appreciated that movie. I, I don't necessarily say that it's better than the first one, but I really appreciated how they went about giving us that film um terminator 2 um th- i mean the first terminator got a lot of got a lot of notoriety but terminator 2 it solidified the series c- completely and i think that's the best one out of all of them that's on the it's on the mount rushmore um yeah terminator 1 you know, for for what it was with the technology available did really well um but t2 just advanced it, it just made such a big leap and i cannot believe that the same guy that made terminator 2 is the same guy that gave us avatar what a p- i hate avatar hate Hated it. Hated it. 
I was mad the whole time I watched it. I liked it better when it was Fern Gully. For real? <laughs> we have Fern Gully on DVD somewhere. I don't even know why. I'm going to go out on a limb right here. Shrek 2 is better than Shrek. I've, I've only seen both of those like once, maybe. So I don't... I don't <laughs> I don't have tons of, like like the Shrek franchise never captured you know my heart that much like I thought things were funny in them but it was never one that I kept wanting to go back to but it also I mean you got a, how old are you when Shrek came out were you like was that 14 15 was the, what 2001 yeah I was like 14 years old that was like the era that like Shrek start started a, a wave of family movies that were trying to cater too hard to the parents watching it you know what I mean where it's like oh right. look there's some uh, some dated misogyny in here real funny it's <laughs> <laughs> doing some misogyny for dad um <laughs> hey it's funny because the guy from everybody loves raymond is one of those animals so it's funny <laughs> <laughs> At that point, I would have been, you know, my early 20s cause, and um, I was trying to go on dates and, and stuff like that. And I just wasn't into that kind of movie that much right at, at that point. Um, but yeah, like I thought they were funny. I have nothing against the Shrek franchise. There were just nothing that really drew me to them. Interesting. We can go back to uh, to Nolan, Christopher Nolan, and say that uh, the, the Dark Knight in the Dark Knight series, the second one's better than Batman Begins. Yeah. Yeah. For the, uh, yeah, uh, just. I mean, the first one was really great, but The Dark Knight turned it to 11. Oh, he went hard. Absolutely. What Heath Ledger brought to the screen just... That's probably the last movie that I saw like three or four times in the theater. Oh, really? Like I kept going back and watching it with, with new people. Yeah, dude, because like I thought at the, at the time, I was like, there's nothing... This is not like a comic book film. This is like... He doesn't feel... Batman doesn't feel like a superhero to me from like the sense of like he has superpowers. He's more practical. Well, he's not. It's more practical magic, right? He's a vigilante with a lot of money. I didn't really have to suspend a lot of disbelief to believe that I'm afraid of Heath Ledger's Joker. <laughs> like I didn't have right. to be like, you yeah. know, oh, this is <laughs> weird universe. Like it felt like it felt they made it feel real in so many ways. Another one I would say is Star Wars Episode Five. Yeah, Empire. I feel like it's widely regarded as the best um, because it's it's a little darker. You know, it, it's not just fluff. It kind of has a bad ending. <laughs> I think the only reason you would say it doesn't have a full-on bad ending is because you knew there was another one coming. But, but like, I mean, it's it's got a bad ending. It leaves the balance of the universe in in you know in question. Right. It's, that's gutsy with a blockbuster movie like that. You know, it felt like it was shot different than the first one and the third one as well. It, like you could, if you told me they had a different director, I I wouldn't question it. Uh, so something that I'm not sure that it worked. I, I, you know, I enjoyed it as a kid, but uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. The first one was, you know, I don't know if it still holds up now. I haven't watched it in a long time. It does. But the first one was really like, it was edgy and uh, like, um, it was, it was pretty rough. Like, but I enjoyed it. It was, it hit me right at that age as a kid where I'm like, you know, you know, like violence is awesome. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, but like, you know, Raphael like cussed all the time. Um, he, he had foul mouth and he was angry and, and, and they lightened, they softened a lot of that up in Turtles 2. Um, they made it more family friendly, which I appreciate at the time because I didn't have to worry about like mom getting after me about what are you watching i need to preface this with the fact that that i love turtles too because it's you know my childhood but it is not in any way shape or form better than the first one <laughs> yeah but but like but i mean like it leads me to question like is it even good i'm not sure the, the first one is good 
The first one is for, yeah. good. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, for what it is. The second one is the campiest nonsense that's ever been on screen, perhaps. You've Walk got, the dog. first of all, around yeah, the world. Okay. <laughs> I love all that stuff. Don't get me wrong. They changed April O'Neil's. Okay. The first movie, April, is so much better. They, um, the kid Kino delivering pizzas and uh, it's me, it's me, Kino. Right from was he? Had he already been on Surf Ninjas? I don't. I don't think that is the dude from Surf Ninjas. Yeah, you didn't realize that. Yeah, Kino's from no, Surf Ninjas. I never made. I never made that connection. <laughs> it's me, Kino. April, Tommy. It's Kino. I, I, I was sad they didn't bring Casey Jones back because he was cool. Casey Jones is such a good character. But, like, the plot is so much more, like, preposterous in the second one than in the first one. And the there's frick, there's a freaking Vanilla Ice concert scene where Vanilla Ice dances with the Ninja Turtles and makes up a song. Go, Ninja, go, Ninja, go, go, Ninja, go, Ninja, go. You can't take that seriously. See, at the time, you know, he was all the rage. So, Or he had just tailed <laughs> off of being all the rage. Um, he was trying to, trying to keep his head afloat. But, like, you know, I was still a fan. So, um... Like, yeah, I thought that was really cool. Vanilla Ice is in a movie, you know, and I thought that was great. And Ninja, Ninja, Rat, Ninja, Ninja, Rat. <laughs> I had a buddy named uh, Kareem Hinkson. I think I've talked about him on the pod before. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. He was the kid on the Halloween episode. <laughs> he was the kid who said he egged my house after I was the one who egged it. He was the one that, that tried to try to claim that he egged it, even though it was me. Um, yeah. So he was running for student council. And uh, for for student body president, sixth grade year. And I wrote an entire rap called the Kareem rap to the beat and tune of Ninja rap. And I was planning on performing it on stage. And I'm so glad I didn't. I'm so, (laughs) it would have been terrible, man. Like in my head, I had it all mapped out. I was going to do the dance. I didn't know the dance, but in my head I did. And uh, it would have been, it would have been horrific. Um, that and uh, not singing Whitney Houston's One Moment in Time at a church talent show. Those are two things that I do not regret backing out of. <laughs> Carry on. All right. TV shows where the second season is way better than the first. I don't know that I have much to offer here, but I'll comment on what you've got. I feel like this is a phenomenon that happens quite a bit, actually, and I'll tell you why. Because it takes a bit, for as far as TV goes, for a show and for a, a writer and for a showrunner to really get an idea of like what the heck the show is and like what characters are working and which dynamics. Dan brings this up all the time. You got to give a show, you know, if it's a good show, you got to give it room to breathe and and grow and find its voice, right? So, like, to me, The Office is a perfect example of that, where the first season, I mean, I, yeah, could, you're right. I, I you're right. could just kick rocks as far as I'm concerned. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's terrible, but it's not, it's, it, to me, the show didn't start until season two. Same with Parks and Rec, same with Community, same, same with Seinfeld, honestly. Like, you think about these, a lot of these, all these are comedies, and that's my whole list right there. But, like, the, these, it's a lot of those with comedies. I think these guys are trying to find their footing. They're trying to figure out, like, what, where the pieces fit and how it works on the screen. And I think that you see that a lot with shows. Some people, like, I don't know if you watched Lost when it was on. The first season's really good. I think it really, like, ramps up in the second and third seasons as well. well that, that's that's the one I was going to bring up um, when, when you mentioned that you only had comedies. I was going to say Lost season two. Like, season one was bonkers and incredible. But season two, yeah, they, they cranked it up. And, it, and the way it ended was just so out of this world. And I think that actually hurt them going forward because, like, that's when everything's, that it kind of peaked. Yeah. 
yeah that season two finale was so insanely incredible that it just it, it had a hard time going you know progressing to a to greater height from then not saying some of the other seasons weren't great um because i think season three was fine mm-hmm. but uh but that's where it started to plateau at least if not you know descend uh 24 season two was incredible oh dude really good i don't think it's as good as season one it was a great example of we're giving you an incredible season one and we're going to give you another and season two was just as solid and that was before it became super formulaic uh, Alias season two was also really good, but it, it suffered a very similar thing. You'll see the, the with J.J. Abrams produced series. Um, you'll see this this trend going now. But like season one, incredible. Season two, great, incredible finale for season two. And I just felt like after that, they had this major twist at the end of season two that was just out of this world. In big time fight between Sydney and and um uh someone who was not her roommate that looked like her roommate. You know, Sydney and evil Francine. And um, it, it just it was awesome. Absolutely. awesome awesome but i don't think they were ever able to recover from that um what's a flop for season two what's something that just didn't do well uh prison break did you ever watch prison break yeah okay that season two was awesome but after that they needed to stop they can't keep up with the premise of breaking from prison (laughs) okay yeah all right wait wait all right hold on real quick did they break out at the end of season one and season two is when they went to tuila (laughs) <laughs> yeah okay all right so season two may not have been awesome but it was still like they're on the run you you have to find out what happens after they break out but they needed to end it after season two i watched them all but it needed to stop um, <laughs> <laughs> did you did you watch heroes save the cheerleader save the world heroes is a good one heroes season one incredible but season two was just absolutely garbage now that season two was dead in the middle of the writer's strike um so maybe that had a lot to do with it but they never recovered you know the writer's strike ended and they came back with two more seasons and then a bonus season a few years later um, with mostly different people. But yeah, season two was just, it just flopped. They they couldn't progress the characters the right way. Siler became, instead of being the, one of the most feared villains on TV, he became just an annoyance. And um, that was one of the best things they did. They they had so much mystery around Siler in season one. They just couldn't, once they, you know, it was like the the couple that, you know, they're, that you think will get together once they finally get together, it ruins the show. Um, it was that way about Siler. We just learned too much about him and all the mystery was gone. I don't um, know if you've ever seen true detective but that first season's really great and then all the other ones should never have been made as great as it was like as far as when you were an hbo series that's prestige television i expect it to be you know at the same standard but it's hard because with the premise of that show they couldn't continue like you know with the same cast moving forward but so that makes it trickier what else do you got do you have anything else no nah, man I think we should wrap up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Okay, I think that r- about wraps it up for us. Um, hopefully, the sophomore season of this show is better than some of the stinkers we talked about. I'm. thank you as always for listening um, and engaging with us you can find our show on twitter and instagram at yes maybe no pod you can find me on twitter at yeti blanc underscore you can find me at andrew streeter underscore that's right don't forget to subscribe rate and review if you leave us a good five-star review that would be incredible maybe leave us a question about the show or some some show topic ideas in the review and until next time our Our second second effort's effort's the best best. yes maybe no our Our second second effort's the the best. best Yes, yes, maybe, maybe no. no. Listen to Yes, Maybe No. Subscribe, download, rate, review, or find podcasts or so. Or uh, download it. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? I pooped all over this.